And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has, has come back from the country of Moab, is selling, I'm sorry, let me go back here. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought I should tell you of this and say, Bide in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the, of the dead, in order to the, uh, perpetuate the name of the, name of the dead in his, in his inheritance. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling here. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former days in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one threw off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and and all that belonged to Chilion and Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were there at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by his, this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went in to her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. All right, thank you, Tony. I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 4 today. We are reminded as we 
come to the conclusion of this story that Naomi was living in the darkest of times. She lived in a time when judges ruled the land and everyone basically did what was right in their own eyes. And during that time, there was a severe famine, and so Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons went to Moab looking for food. But while they were there in Moab, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilian all died. Later, after 10 plus years, Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem because she learned that there was again food there in Bethlehem, and she returned, but was, in fact, empty and bitter. Have you, have you ever been where Naomi was, empty and bitter? Maybe, maybe you're there now. Um, my, my hunch is that every single one of us, at some point in our life, need to be reminded in a particular way of the kindness of God in providence, in in the providential meeting of Ruth and Boaz. We look at this story and how they met, and you see God's hand of providence in play, how God provided a kinsman redeemer, how hope was rekindled. We're often in a place where we needed to be, where we need to be reminded of God's Kindness, the kindness of God's in providence in the meeting of Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor, where a plan for marriage unfolds and again hope is renewed in the heart of one who was empty and bitter. Today we're going to look at the final chapter of this story, chapter four, where we see the kindness of God's providence in redemption by a kinsman redeemer and something that in fact gave more than what was expected as Tony read verse 1 now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there again this happened the morning after Ruth made herself available to Boaz for redemption as a kinsman redeemer Boaz had a plan he wanted to marry or redeem Ruth but he had to First, give a nearer kinsman an opportunity. When Ruth and Boaz talked on the threshing floor, Boaz promised, if he will not redeem you, I will. So in the morning, Boaz went up to the city gate. This was the meeting place for the people of the city. Their houses would be within the city walls, but then each day they would travel by foot out into the fields for work. The gate was also a place where legal transactions were made or where judicial proceedings took place or any type of official business. And so Boaz had a plan, and so he took his seat at the city gate. And we're told, the tail end of verse 1, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So this is why Boaz went to the gate. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So Boaz knew him. Um, the city knew him. He was the nearest kinsman to Elimelech, 
but we don't even know his name. Um, verse 2, Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, and so they sat down. Um, we aren't told exactly why he singled out ten elders of the city. Only two were really needed to witness an official business contract, but uh, one commentator points out that Jewish authorities cite that ten witnesses were to be present for the recital of the marriage benediction. And so it was maybe assumed that Boaz was really preparing for this marriage ceremony. Verse 3 says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So we're learning now that Naomi has a piece of land. Actually, it had been Elimelech's land before he died, and it would have been their sons if they had not also died. So now it, it is Naomi who is selling it because she is poor. It's also possible that Elimelech had sold this property before taking, uh, before taking his family to Moab. And if that were so, and it seems likely that it would have been so, Naomi's trying to exercise the family's right to redeem the land or to buy back the land. Uh, as Eric Kress reminds us, remember the law in Israel stipulated that land was not to be sold permanently, but was to be recovered by the rightful family through the payment of the redemption price. Uh, he goes on saying this, according to this explanation, Naomi is trying to buy back the family land, but since she had no money, she's requesting a kinsman redeemer to do it for her. In other words, she's selling the right of redemption. Now, I don't want to get too stuck in the weeds with the details, but the main point is this. Naomi either had the land or the right to the land that is now being offered to the nearest relative or the nearest kinsman redeemer. And Boaz makes it clear, this is, this is the Naomi that had gone to Moab with her husband, but has now returned. And Boaz makes it very clear, Naomi is selling her land. This unnamed friend, a kinsman redeemer, has the first legal right to redeem this land. And so Boaz says, if you want to redeem it, redeem it now. But if you don't want to redeem it, tell me, because I'm next in line. Notice that Boaz does the righteous thing. He wanted to redeem Ruth, but he first had to give this nearer uh, relative an opportunity. Bo Boaz willingly gave this man the option of redeeming Ruth. And he said, I will redeem it. This nearer kinsman said, I will redeem it. This, this guy doesn't hesitate. He quickly jumps in. I, I'll redeem the land. 
Um, and you kind of wonder, we aren't told, but just speculating, you wonder if Ruth and Naomi had come near the city gate, you know, so they could listen from a distance, but not necessarily be visible. If, if they were in earshot of this conversation, uh, you can almost imagine that their hearts would have sunk when they heard this other nearer kinsman say, I will redeem the land. Um, cer- certainly, if if you're following along and you're into this story, but you don't know how the story ends, you're, you're thinking to yourself, no, this isn't how I want the story to end. We're rooting for Boaz and Ruth. The beautiful manifestation of God's providence is really unfolding between Boaz and Ruth. And obviously this nearer relative was thinking of this purely as a business venture. He'll buy the land, use it to make some more money. It's kind of like playing Monopoly. I don't know if you like to play Monopoly. I like to play Monopoly, all except when my wife plays Monopoly. Because when my wife plays Monopoly, she either wins or she makes sure the kids win, and I always lose because she sides with the kids and she works against me. So that's how it always works but I love playing Monopoly and when you play Monopoly um, the more property you own the better position you are to win the game you're not going to win the game without property and so verse 5 we're told then Boaz said the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi it's it's not just about the land he says this you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So this isn't just about the money. It's more than an opportunity to increase your harvest revenue. When you redeem the land, you also become the husband to Ruth, the Moabite, a foreigner. And you do this in order to carry on the name of her dead husband. In other words, you spend your money to redeem the land. You, you take on the responsibility to be the husband to Ruth. And you do this with the intent of having a child who will carry the name of Elimelech, not your own. And this child would then inherit the land that had belonged to Elimelech, the land that you purchased with your own money. So the role of a kinsman redeemer required selfless, sacrificial giving for the sake of another. Now with that reality clear in mind, verse 6, then the redeemer said, I I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. So the the cost of redemption was more than he expected. Um, Maybe this man was already married. Maybe this man doesn't have the necessary funds to redeem the land and provide care for Ruth and Naomi. Plus, he would lose the land he purchased to the child that he could have with Ruth. All of that would be too great, uh, would too greatly compromise what he had set up to pass on as an inheritance to his own children. Or it's also possible that he had the money, but he was only interested in a deal that would make him more money. 
He just wasn't willing in being selfless and sacrificial for the good of another, for the namesake of another. Whatever the reason, he gave up his right to redeem to redeem, he gave that right up to Boaz. And he made this official, verse 7. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, so, so when the, the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 25, don't confuse this removing of the sandal with that which is found in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. In, in that particular passage, we learn that the brother of a deceased man is obligated to take the wife of his deceased brother and bear a child with her to carry on the brother's name. And if he is unwilling to do this, the woman should go to the city gate and in the presence of the elders, remove the sandal of the brother who refused to carry on the name of the deceased and spit in his face, which would be fitting for the one refusing to honor his brother's name. That's not what's going on here in Ruth. This near relative wasn't a brother. He was not obligated by law, but he did have the opportunity. But he said no. Uh, we're told here in verse 7 that a transaction was confirmed by giving of your sandal to another. Then in verse 9, Boaz said to the elders and all of the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So it's official. The, the deal is done. It's properly witnessed. Boaz redeemed Ruth. But in this statement by Boaz, you hear his heart. He said, I have done this to perpetuate the name of Elimelech so that his name will not be cut off from among his brothers. Um, he didn't have to do this by law, but he willingly did it. He did what was righteous because he gave the nearer relative his rightful opportunity to re redeem Naomi. What he did was selfless and sacrificial. What he did was an act of love. Boaz, the redeemer, did more than expected. But, but then notice what happens next. And I would say... This too is more than was expected. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. What, what a blessing the people at the gate gave um, to Boaz and Ruth. God worked through Rachel and Leah to make Israel grow and prosper. The, the blessing given here was for Ruth to be used by God to be a blessing to the people of Israel. The, the blessing is also asking God to make Boaz work or act worthily in the land of Bethlehem. God, God was clearly at work here. You, you're familiar with the prophecy of Micah 5.2 that found fulfillment when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And we know that Jesus fulfilled that, being born in the line of David, who was born in the line of Boaz and Ruth. So Ruth, a foreigner from Moab, was in the line from which Jesus came. This was more than expected, even in this blessing given by the elders and people at the gate. Now, verse 12 also mentions Tamar. Do you remember Tamar? Tamar married Judah's son, Ur. Uh, Judah was the son of Jacob and Rachel. So you had Abraham, had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah, and then Judah had Ur, a son named Ur. But the Lord put Ur to death because he was wicked. And Judah, the father then, instructed Ur's brother Onan to perform his duty of providing a child through Tamar. But Onan did not want to make this happen because he knew the child would not be his own. So Judah promised his younger son. Uh, he told Tamar to wait for his younger son. And Tamar waited, and she waited. But Judah was not faithful to the promise that he made. So on one occasion when Judah was going into the town, Tamar, dressed up as a prostitute, seduced Judah, and she conceived a child with Judah, her father-in-law. This child was Perez, who is in the lineage of Boaz, who is in the line of David, who is in the line of Jesus. The Messiah came to seek and save sinners, which includes you and me. Um, it shouldn't surprise you that even in the earth, earthly lineage of Jesus, God's faithfulness was highlighted not man's. The Old Testament 
again and again and again demonstrates convincingly the unfaithfulness of man, but the faithfulness of God. Now, back to the story of Ruth, the elders and the people at the gate gave a blessing to Boaz and Ruth, asking the Lord to give them offspring that would be a blessing to Israel. That would happen, but in fact, more than expected also happened. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. Ruth blessed or spoke well of the Lord for this. And not just the child, but a redeemer for Naomi. The name of Elimelech would in fact be carried on. But it's more than that. Through all of this, the Lord restored and nourished the life of Naomi in her old age. Being old doesn't have to be synonymous with being grumpy and bitter when your life is influenced by God's kind Redeemer. Notice, too, how much Ruth loves Naomi. My love is more to you than seven sons. So this son born to Ruth and Boaz, because of the kind providence of God, would be a great gift to Naomi. And Naomi would devote her time as grandma to this child. Once empty and bitter, Naomi is restored and nourished in life by the Redeemer, who is the kind providence of God. And it's obvious to see that Naomi is again enjoying life in a community. I say that because the women of the neighborhood were there with her and gave this boy the name Obed. And this Obed was the father of Jesse who was the father of David, and today we know that the Messiah came in this line. Verse 18 says this, Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Don't overlook genealogies. Uh, God's hand is all over history. God works out his purpose generation after generation. But limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees 
so little of what is really happening. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing before us the continuity of God's purpose throughout the ages. The process of history is not haphazard. There is a purpose in it all, and the purpose is the purpose of God. Matthew 1.1, the very first verse in our New Testament says this, the book of the genealogies of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So being far more than expected, the kind providence of God provides Jesus the Messiah, the Redeemer, for you and for me, to restore and nourish our lives. Now, that's Ruth chapter 4, and that concludes the story of Ruth. The question is, what, what is the Spirit's intent in giving us Ruth 4, 1 through 22? Well, if we reflect a little bit about Ruth's story, looking just at Ruth's story, you see that a Redeemer had a plan. Boaz had a plan. And he followed through with that plan. We learn how this Redeemer submitted to righteousness. Even though he was ready to redeem and marry Ruth, he recognized that the righteous thing to do was to give this nearer kinsman an opportunity first. So this Redeemer submitted to and fulfilled the demands of righteousness. We also see in Ruth's story that a Redeemer paid the price of redemption selflessly and sacrificially. But we don't really know, we don't know the name of this nearer kinsman, but we just know that he wasn't willing to pay the price and to take on the responsibility. Um, and here we see a Redeemer, Boaz, willing to pay the price of redemption and to do that selflessly and sacrificially. And in fact, the redeemed then were blessed far more than expected. Naomi came back from Moab empty and exceedingly bitter, but through the kind providence of God in providing a redeemer, her heart was filled again with hope and she was nourished back to life. That's the story of Ruth. Let's talk a little bit about your story. And I say your story if you are a born-again believer. If you're here this morning, you're trusting in Jesus alone to be your Savior, your Redeemer. It's, it's helpful and in fact encouraging for us to think about the fact that we too know that the Redeemer had a plan. Our Redeemer is Jesus. And the Father sent Him to this earth with a plan to give his life, to lay down his life sacrificially on the cross, to pay the price of our redemption with his shed blood. Um, so you and I can be encouraged when we remember that the Redeemer, our Redeemer, has a plan. Our Redeemer submitted to righteousness. Jesus came as a man and submitted his life to, to the law, submitted his life to his Father, he fulfilled righteousness in every way. He went to the cross as a spotless lamb of God, and he died, not for his sin, but for our sin. 
We also know that the Redeemer paid the price of redemption. Our Redeemer willingly laid down His life. You remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He counted the cost, and it was a great cost to pay, for there on the cross, His Father turned His back on His Son. And He was separated from the Father. And on that cross, Jesus took upon Himself the wrath for our sin that we deserve. Jesus willingly took upon Himself the Redeemer, our Redeemer, Jesus willingly laid down His life selflessly and sacrificially. And because of that, because of the Redeemer, because of the work that He did, you and I, if we're trusting in Him, if we're alive in Him, we, we are blessed far more than expected. Not only are we forgiven, not only are we counted righteous, not only are we reconciled to God, not only are we adopted into His family, not only do we have the promise of eternal life, um, we enjoy the favor of living under the care of the Good Shepherd, our Redeemer, and we look forward to a day when Jesus comes again where Every tear will be wiped. There will be no more sickness and death. Um, and we'll dwell in the presence of Jesus and enjoy him in an unhindered way. Church is a great thing. We're busy all week long. We get distracted. We get pulled here. We get pulled there. But when we come together as a church, we have an opportunity again to make central the person of Christ. And we are reminded of what God has done for us in Christ through the Redeemer. And we are strengthened in faith so that we keep living by faith. But we're prone to drift. We're prone to wander. We get distracted. There's a day coming, folks. The promise of eternal life means that there is a day coming when Jesus returns. He'll take us to be in His presence where we won't be distracted anymore. We, we won't succumb to the temptation of sin. We, we, we will enjoy Christ fully as He intends. That is going to be a great day. That will be a great day indeed. So how do we respond to the story of Ruth? The story of a Redeemer. The story of God's kind providence in providing a Redeemer. So that those of us who were empty and exceedingly bitter find forgiveness and are nourished back to life. How do we respond? Well, we live by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, I urge you to do that even today. To run to the Redeemer and put your faith in Jesus. If you are here as a as, as one who has already put your faith in Jesus, trusted in Him alone, keep believing, keep trusting Jesus. We tasted, we've seen that the Lord is good. It's, we are considered blessed when we take refuge in the Lord. So keep looking to Jesus, keep trusting in Jesus. Secondly, persevere in the faith even in the darkest of times. Not everything was always easy for Ruth. She walked through some hard experiences. You and I were, were promised by Jesus that we too would walk through 
hard experiences. And when we do walk through those darkest of times, we must remember that God, in fact, is present. He's aware of the fact that you are suffering. And in fact, he tells us that sometimes he calls us to suffer. We must not lose sight of the character of God in those times. He is the good shepherd. As Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's faithful in that way. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, 1. So don't lose sight of the gospel. Don't lose sight of God's kind provision of a redeemer to set you free and to restore you to a right relationship with him. You must remember that we live not by sight, but by faith in Jesus Christ. There are lots of experiences and circumstances that are just screaming at us all the time. And we must not lose sight in those times of looking to Jesus with eyes of faith, believing the character of Jesus, believing the promise of Jesus. And if we do that, we will be comforted by the kindness of God's providence in the darkest of times. Uh, Not necessarily comforted because our circumstances changed, kind of like Job, his circumstances didn't change before he was comforted. He was comforted by God when he thought about who God was and God's care for his life, but then... In fact, later in life, he was, in fact, restored and blessed. But the comfort that Job experienced was because of the character and the promises of God. Uh, You and I have an opportunity as we walk through the darkest of times to keep our eyes on Jesus, to rehearse his character and his promises. And he is enough to comfort us even in the darkest of times. And that's my prayer. For you this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your kindness to us in giving us the gift of a Redeemer, the gift of Jesus. And we're thankful that Jesus was willing to pay the price in full for our redemption, setting us free from sin and death and restoring us to a right relationship with you. Father, I confess that it is so easy to be distracted. It is so easy to lose sight, to forget of you and your promises, your faithfulness, your character, the hope that is ours. So Father, I pray that you by your spirit would remind us of your kindness in providing the Redeemer, your presence with us as we live in relationship with that Redeemer. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people that would find comfort in you. We'd find hope in you. That the joy that we have in life would come from living in a relationship with you, the true and living God. May you be the one that is the anchor of our soul. May you be the one that we 
we delight in and cherish above all else. You and you alone are worthy of this devotion. Strengthen us by your spirit so that we find comfort in you even in the darkest of times, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.